Exodus chapter 19. We are just about, you know what Exodus 20 is? Do we know what Exodus 20 is? It's the Decalogue. It is like the ten pillars of our society. We'll spend probably one message per on those. Uh, I really want to do a, ser- a series on uh, uh, prophecy. And what the events of our day are just so important and just right there and what the world's happening in the world. I won't do that. Uh, we'll take a break at some point in time from Exodus or John on that. And anyway, the Lord knows. And uh, we're in Exodus chapter 19. What a wonderful story it is. Last time was arrival at Sinai. Tonight is meeting with God. Think, but I was thinking today, what, who is the most important person you have ever, or the most famous person you have ever met? I was thinking, I was thinking about, I, I don't know who it is necessarily, but this by far surpasses any of them, meeting with God. And, and so tonight is a very, uh, it's, Israel is going to really be, as you will, shaken, truly, just shaken, literally shaken. Verse 12, and thou shalt set bounds unto the people. I'm in Exodus 19, 12. If you're listening online, welcome to Little Sandy Baptist Church. We are in Exodus chapter 19 for one more evening. And starting at verse 12, last time was the arrival at Sinai. Tonight is the meeting with God. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye go not up into the mount or touch the border of it. Whosoever touches the mount shall surely be put to death. There shall not an hand touch it, but thou shalt surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day. Come not at your wives. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there was thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai uh, was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount. And Moses went up, and the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priests also, which come near to the Lord, sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to the Mount Sinai, for thou chargest us, saying... Set bounds about the mount and sanctify it. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee. But let not the priests and the people break through to come up unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. So Moses went down unto the people and spake unto them. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, next few moments, may we see your awesome glory and what you are, your holiness and the fact that you've, value and we should great more greatly value that your holiness and your righteousness and what we are and what you are and what we are not so lord help us as we think about this tonight that we'll uh, learn together and as andrew prayed earlier take something home that we can use uh, for ourselves and our own lives perhaps with others in jesus name i pray amen 
Last time there was the crossing, the time and the terrain. That was one and two. 19, three to eight is the covenant, the principle, and the promise. And then we started last time the charging. We saw sanctifying, starting in verse nine. We're up to verse 12. We find the sanctifying then. He set bounds about, around about the mountain so that people would not come forward. A meaning of the word bounds it, it is to intimate that, first of all, the humble, awful reverence which ought to possess the minds of all those that worship God. Now, the word awful, if I say that's an awful tasting uh, I don't know, coffee or whatever, awful taste. We think, oh, that's a terrible thing. But what does the word all, full, full of all? So when we say God's an awful God or he's a dreadful God, it doesn't matter. We think that's a dreadful color for your carpet or whatever. No, dreadful means we are to be in awe of him. That's the idea. We've taken our words and we've turned them to mean what in our culture wants to mean. We say awful has hardly any good connotation and dreadful has hardly... But in the Bible, the awful reverence of God, and we see that so clearly in the mountain and the, the clouds and the holiness of God. We are base creatures, says Matthew Henry, before a great creator. We are vile sinners before a holy, righteous judge, and therefore a godly fear and shame will become us. Yes, it does. We should be becoming us is a godly fear. We have to serve him with reverential fear. And secondly, the distance at which the worshipers were kept. Under the dispensation of the law, they were kept apart from God. You and I, though, can pause right now and go into his presence by prayer. Let us come what? Boldly unto the throne of grace, the author of Hebrews says. We have that blessing, and yet we do we take advantage of that? The word bounds there means to set bounds or to set limits around something or, or to make a boundary. This word also depicts something that bounds or limits in an area such as the Jordan, which are served to bound territory in Benjamin or perhaps a, a border of another country. We think today's been fenced off. And so I was estimating about Mr. I get, Mr. Uh, Mr. Bentley's daughter who's married over here. Uh, that has that pond now and that nice sea grass. I'm, I'm thinking I'm, he might fence that off with wooden fence. I'm thinking. Now, that's, I don't even know him very well. I know, I know her, Jody, some. But he might be fencing it off. And if he does, that's the idea. Fence it off to keep the horses inside. Set bounds. My parents set bounds for me when I was a young folk, I tell you. They weren't fences necessarily, but they were just about as strong as a fence because I knew if I jumped over it, Whoa, sad, sad to say I'm going to be in trouble. Or maybe good to say I'm going to be in trouble. Take heed to yourselves in 1912 that you go not up to the mount. Moses is going to give them a strong warning to the people. Not only are they forbidden to go mountain climbing. Why, now, why would you think, for just a moment, if we had this situation today, and God called all the people to mount, I don't know wherever it is. Uh, there's a mountain around here big enough to do that. But we're all there. What are people going to want to do? Uh, I wonder what God's like. I'll just, let me just, I'm going to risk a foot or two. See if I can see God. God no, you're not going to do that. God says, don't, that's not a possibility. Don't even touch the border. Take heed or guard or keep or observe or watch. The Hebrew word means to be careful, to watch over, to watch carefully over, to be on one's guard. When I mow and I weed eat down in the creek by my house, I'm on guard for S-A-N-A-K-E-S. If I say it out loud, there might be some that come up there. So the S-N-A-K-E-S's, I'm on my guard for those. And that's why the weeder goes first and I follow after it. So 
I don't do that very often, but I I'm, I'm want to be ready if it happens. I do have two. We did have two living right on the our foundation that go under this tree, and they race under the tree before I can get them. I even had a hoe sitting out by the tree, but they never were around when I... And so I saw... Oh, there you go. And I'm the whole... So they right by... Uh, maybe our walls, they're like, maybe that's their living room wall. I don't know, but that's, I don't like that very much. They probably don't like me either, so we're on the same team. Obedience, take heed, obedience to the command. That would be a good practice for Israel, a careful attention to what the obligations are. And in verse 12, surely be put to death. To fail to keep this command, it's not like, well, I'm going to give you, okay, we'll, give, we'll try number two. Okay, you failed again. Okay, I'll give you a third try. Three times a charm. It's not like it's one and done. Uh, I was telling someone those, those biscuit things I make, uh, uh, those uh, Bojangles cinnamon biscuits that are like that bigger. I said, you're one and done with those. Just eat one because about all you really need for one meal. I'll tell you what to do, but you're, you're one and done with that. This is the same thing. You break this law and you're going to die if you want to hold, the, here's the, it's the obedience or disobedience. I'm turning to Deuteronomy 30 for just a moment. Deuteronomy 30 and Moses puts it right, it's just square before them. 30.19, Deuteronomy 30.19, Moses says to the people in the sealing of the covenant, I call heaven, Deuteronomy 30.19, and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and thou mayest obey his voice, and thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Choose you this day. It's like what Joshua said, I set before you life and death. We sort of have a little bit of that in the state of Kentucky coming up next week when we have amendment number two. I just got a text today from someone urging me to say no to that. I wrote back, I am voting Yes. Yes, yes is for life, no is for not for life. And so I'm not, I'm not sanctioning a candidate, so I can say this. A vote yes on two is for life. A vote no is not for life. And so in, in Kentucky, so there we are. And so I would encourage you, you vote how you want. I just let you, don't, don't be just, just you know, I won't be confused about that. But yes to amendment two is a vote for life. As Guthick said this, is there anything basic to human nature that is, that is we need boundaries? If we need, we need boundaries. In setting these boundaries and providing the death penalty for breaching them, God showed Israel that obedience is more important than their feelings. We don't doubt that some bold Israelites felt like going beyond the boundaries, but they were to submit their feelings to obedience. And is that, is that not what we have all your life? This is what you are to do. You have bosses. You have all these different people. You've got to do this. You've got bank tellers. You've got people at the grocery store. You've got people you go to a restaurant. You've got to sit here. You've got to sit here. Sit here. Do that. We have to be obedient to those who are in authority over us. Verse 13. There shall not a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be get or beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, then shall they shall come up to the mount. Uh, uh, touch it. Now, what's this implication? The implication is being defiled, unholy, unclean. Another thought is, let's say someone dies out there, you can't venture into the area to pull them out. You've got to wait till they're able to get out, and then you kill them. So if they've gone over in there, and once they get back out, you don't go in there and just like turn around, okay, you're going out. Because you, if you go in there, you're going to be guilty. And so that's perhaps the idea here. They shall not and hand touch it. 
A very fearful form of negation here. Actually, it begins ten or eight of the Ten Commandments. No one, absolutely no one, is to touch the violator. By doing so, they themselves might become the violators infected by one person's disobedience. The people are to wait until the transgressor returns from the mountain. Then they must execute him from a distance. That's one. That's what the one commentator thought that meant. There shall not an hand touch it. Now, death by stoning was a horrible way to die. They, uh, different ideas of what it was, but the place of stoning was twice the height of a man with rocks below, and the first witness would come up behind the person and push him at their hips in this, in this instance, and perhaps other instances, but this, in this stoning method, they would knock the person over headlong into the stones, and they would hit their head. If they didn't die, they would turn them over, and the second witness would throw a big rock on the chest. If that didn't kill the person, then they pick up stones and they would stone them to death. That was one way to stone. Sometimes they would tie their hands and feet and then stone them. Sometimes they would throw them from a high place so they were injured and couldn't run. Then they stoned them. And sometimes they were just surrounded by a large crowd and stoned them with stones. And so often the first witness had to do the pushing or the second stone, etc. And note the adverb here says, surely, verse 13, back over in Exodus chapter 19, you're back over there with me. Verse 13, we find that surely they're going to surely shall be stoned or shot through. Isn't it interesting? Can you think of the surely words in our scripture? I was thinking of Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. It says for us here, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou shalt eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Then the Satan gets a hold of that and comes over in chapter 3, all the way by chapter 3, and he says in verse 4, the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. God says this, and you're surely going to die. You're going to die if you do this. The trumpet was the shofar. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. S-H-O-F-A-R is one blown by men. In this instance, later on by perhaps angels or supernatural sound. In the Institutes of Christian Religion, we find we cannot seriously aspire to God before we begin to become displeased with ourselves. As long as we're ignorant of our sinful condition before God, we'll be content with ourselves. Then it adds, again, it is certain that man can never achieve a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face and then descends from contemplating him to scrutinizing himself. And then we have the dread and wonder the saints were stricken with and overcome with when they felt the presence of God. These people trembled at God's presence. Thou, thou shalt not a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned. This would serve to teach people well if a, a donkey or a horse or whatever or a cow broke through. The, I keep thinking of the yellow tape, the, the caution tape from police yellow tape. If they happen to skirt under that and they run in by the mountain, they're not supposed to be. When they come out, they've got to die. So whether it's a beast or a human being, listen, you're, supposed to, you're not supposed to do that. Put your donkeys and your cows in the pen before you start. Shall come up. When the ram horn sounds long, then the people shall come up to the mountain. It's like, it's like a sold-out concert. A person I was talking with on Friday was going to the Kentucky Headhunters concert. I think it was Friday night. I didn't go, of course. But, but they were going to, I don't know how many people were there waiting to go in. Maybe there was a line waiting when the first the doors opened. Perhaps it's like uh, what used to be like Walmart on 5 o'clock on Thanksgiving morning when they, or the day after Thanksgiving, they opened the door. Now it's, it's popular to have it, stores open all the time now. 
This is greater. This is the greatest concert in history. Jesus, the Father, Holy Spirit, God is going to talk to Moses. When the ram horn blasts, they're going to hear that entire congregation is going to come up. Now, it would probably take a while to get, if there are two million people, to come around the mount. I saw a beautiful portrayal of this on the internet. I almost had the computer set up to show it to you. A beautiful portrayal of the, portrayal of the Israelites around the mount. 14, and Moses went from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. Remember, washing the clothes was a, a, a change of attitude or change of mind or preparing yourself for something. 15, he said unto the people, be ready against the third day, come not at your wise. Abstinence was the choice to refuse to indulge in desire, come not at your wise. By the way, this is no, by no means demeans marital intimacy or suggest anything unclean about God or the relations in marriage. What that means is you focus on God. That's your focus. Get your mind off those things. Not that they're bad. Get those minds off those things, men, and focus on what you're going to see is God. God and his glory. Not to see God himself, but you're going to see the smoke and you're going to hear the thunder. You're going to see the lightning. Focus on that. Sanctify yourselves. And then there's verse, not only the charging was sanctifying and 16, there's Sinai. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mouth and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all people that was in the camp trembled. Introductions to the service were thunders and lightnings designed to strike all on the people. And it, it does. Isn't the thunder amazing? But you hear the thunder rolling. How, how does that work? And the lightning, it, it gets my attention whenever I see lightning. I remember when I was working at Brascom, one lightning bolt, and we had to shut down for 30 minutes until, and you had to wait 30 minutes when there was, there could be no lightning for 30 minutes before we could restart. But when the electricians were out there working on that wire, they did not want the lightning around, which I understand that. And so the first, oh, we see lightning, and I would have to, I'd have to get on the, the computer and see, well, how long we got, how long is it going to be here? And, and, and so then they finally, when it's cleared out, okay, you can go back to work. Lightning's over. It gets our attention. If they were sleeping, they're no longer sleeping. If they're looking the wrong way, they're looking toward the mouth now. And the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud. It's, it's not a trumpet from the camp, like, but it's a different trumpet sound than 1913 when the ram horn sounds a long blast. Very loud trumpet sound they are to come up to the mount. By the way, the trumpet sound would strongly weigh against the naturalistic. There's a, a, some who say, well, that was just an eruption of a volcano. No, that's why things are called supernatural. You must believe in the supernatural to believe in what God has done. I mean, the supernatural creation of the world, the supernatural raising of the dead, the supernatural perfect life of our Savior. Supernatural. Of course, we, in that instance, we might say, well, he did that. Also, he did it as a, as a man, but he was the, perf the perfect man. We believe in the supernatural. If you believe in heaven... Aren't you believing in the supernatural? The heaven doesn't come by accident. It's the supernatural. Matthew Henry says again, The mountains saw Yahweh and trembled and were witnesses against a hard-hearted, unmoved people whom nothing would influence. 17. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mount. The trip could have been a, a little while to get all those thousands of people. It's not sure whether they ringed the entire mountain or they were in one general area together. I'm thinking most likely maybe they were a, a, maybe a third of it or something where they all is one large group. I do not know. 
But they were there. They were watching the boundaries, watching one another, so that no body would slip through. Oh, don't, don't, don't get too close. I think if someone even had fallen through over into that, they would have been, I mean, that's how serious God was. Can you imagine if God did that today? If you, if you blaspheme my name or you do this, you're going to be toast. If you lie to the Holy Spirit, like Ananias and Sapphira, you're, you're, your life's over. I think there'd be a lot more respect, even among we Christians, of who God is. Remember Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, and woe, woe is me. What do you say about Isaiah? Isaiah was a very godly man. He, was, he wrote the most eloquent Hebrew of all of the prophets of the Old Testament. And so, yes, when he says, woe is me, woe is us. Woe is me. 18, in Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke. Because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. The people had agreed to do his will now comes to prove him. Look at 2020. And same book, 2020. Look what God says. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God is come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your eyes, that ye sin not. God wants to know. What is people going to do? The law is holy and just and good, a perfect standard, but it doesn't save. It doesn't. We have to have a savior from that. We understand that. But the character needs to be tested. It is the fan in the hand of God, the spirit that separates the chaff from the wheat of infallible rectitude. Someone has said the law is like a fan. They cannot show mercy. It sifts and proves and, and justifies and condemns. It's like the officer to drive us to the school of Christ. That's what the law does. It's a taskmaster. It's a schoolmaster pointing us. And listen, you need to be saved. The sanctifying Sinai and finally the speaking, verse 19. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and God answered him by a voice. Now who blew this trumpet? Very likely it was angels. Dr. Henry Morris says evidently there were uh, myriads of holy ones with God on Mount Sinai as, he, as his right hand wrote the commandments for Israel on tablets of stone. And Hold your finger and look for us at Deuteronomy 33, the first two verses. Where does he get this from? Deuteronomy 33, 1 and 2. Back over to Deuteronomy 33, 1 and 2. Deuteronomy 33, 1 and 2. Deuteronomy 33, 1 and 2. 33, 1 and 2. And this is the blessing wherewith Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And he said, The Lord came from Sinai and rose up from Seir unto them. He shined forth from Mount Perm, and he came with ten thousands of saints from his right hand went a fiery law for them. Interesting use of the word saints there. But he came. And, and they were there. Who sounded this trumpet? Perhaps the same person is going to sound the trumpet that we're listening for. The archangel, perhaps. I'm just gesticulating there. But the, the trumpet sounds. And he spoke and answered. Both of those are the, in the imperfect tense, which means a repeated action. He kept speaking, and God kept answering. Wow. Kept speaking, kept answering. What an amazing thing that was. My wife, on her birthday on Friday, uh, our grandson text she texted him and he texts back and she texts and he texts back and like he kept answering that was a great thing because the first time ever uh, since they moved over it's like he answered back and forth that was 
This is the picture. He answered, spoke, answered, spoke. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze. And many of them perish. No sooner had Moses gotten up a little way than he looks the top of the mountain and he's sent back down again. Keep an eye on the people so they don't break through and gaze. And that word gaze there means to fix your eyes upon an intense sensory perception so that their attention fixing their eyes on and trying to see the divine. They're not to do that. God is very jealous of his holiness. Matter of fact, the Bible says he he dwells in light which no man can look into. Now, we see God because we see Jesus. I've always thought about this. Will we ever see the Father who is a spirit? I'm thinking we may not. We may see the presence of him, but remember, he's, how can we, maybe what God gives us, we have this new bodies, we'll have the new sight that sees, you would think we would, to see the angels, right? So maybe we'll be able to see, but he dwells there, which no man can look into because of the holiness of of himself. 22. And let the priest also, which come near to the Lord, sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. Now, priests are described later on, as you well know, in the system, sacrificial system, but it appears here that the priesthood had already, in some kind of manner, had been instituted. An important point was emphasized the priests were those who would stand before God. What a privilege it was to stand before God and, and represent the people in some way. Entering the presence of the Holy One requires proper preparation of life, especially of the heart. 23, and Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for thou chargest us, saying, Set bounds about the mount and sanctify it. Response to the Lord's commands was, Go down and warn the people and the priests. Moses says, uh, We've already given them the warning. The paraphrase, you already warned us. You told me, mark off a boundary around the mountain to set it apart as holy. But the people need to be reminded of that. And so go down, verse 24. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee. But let not the priests and the people break through to come up unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. So here's the, God wants to show people he's holy, but he also doesn't want people to die. He wants them to see his holiness but not loss of life. How can, he was so concerned about that. The whole idea of Sinai was exclusion. Exodus 19, as Guzik says, speaks of the fear and the reverential awe of God. It's easy to think that this alone inspired them to a holy lifestyle. Now, many to think, we know, we, 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 sometimes we Baptists, well, if we just had more thunder and lightning, preaching and thumping and bouncing and pouncing and, and uh, that's Tigger, sorry, and thumping of the pulpits and things, if we had more of that, people might be more receptive. But listen, they had this. The Israelites had this. And later on, as chapter 32, they come, let us make up our own gods. And here comes the calf. Not all of Israel worshiped the calf. But there were enough to want to do it, and Aaron and her capitulated. So it's the indwelling of God's Spirit working in our lives. Not forty, uh, yet not for forty days from this, the people would be immoral around the golden calf. All is one thing; submission of the will is another. Chadwick says Israel had plenty of all, but little submission of the will. For the unbeliever, holiness is is what God is. It's intrinsic to his character, without which no man shall see God. And how does God look at us? How are we holy? By the blood of Christ applied to our lives. Carnal believer, outward actions without true inward change are just that, outward actions. 
We need to be changed from the inside out. That's what makes us different. And we should be working and growing and serving and, and growing in our relationship with God and striving believer. Let us serve faithfully. May we worship with a sense of awe. We should have an awful feeling when considering God. Oh, well, what are you saying? I'm not saying that terrible feeling, which also is applied to God, I believe, in Scripture. I'm saying the awful, dreadful, terrible presence of Almighty God. And when we pray, just a few moments in closing, we're going into His presence. How casually have I done that so often in my life? A meeting with God. I don't know who you're going to be meeting with this week. I know I have two groups of seniors, not seniors, two groups of seniors that I'm meeting with to, to begin their computer classes. I'm meeting with them, and that's important. I might be meeting with, I don't know, whoever else this week. But I tell you, when we meet with God, he's the king of kings. And we need to be prepared for that and treat him with reverence. Let us close in prayer, please. Let's pray together, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have given us this text. We have been prepared through chapter 19. Israel was prepared for the receiving of your very own word. The Decalogue on tablets of stone. A Decalogue that has affected and had influence on every single, almost every single culture that knows about it since they were given. It is the basis upon which a properly based culture should be founded upon. So Lord, as we anticipate the 20th chapter, may we examine our own hearts and lives. May it not be so much as someone said that we're shouting the, the Ten Commandments from the, the highest mountain, but, but that we're actually living them in our daily lives here on earth. So, Lord, help us this week. May we be about your business. Draw us to yourself. Uh, Lord, let us be thankful that we do belong to the King. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.